Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to freely gather here and worship you. And as always, Lord, make our heart and mind and spirit attentive to you in the midst of the worries and the joys, the to-do list, the tasks and the schedule of our day. God, speak into our lives that which we need in these moments. And may my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're continuing our journey through Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 5 today. We will finish next week with Ephesians 6 as we then move into our Advent season. Remember, there are six chapters in Ephesians. The first three are kind of an understanding of theology, and the last three are an explanation of how to live out the Christian life. And so we come to this second chapter of that here in Ephesians 5. There's a lot in this chapter. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. We've chosen a big section, um, but not all of it. In fact, we didn't choose the most controversial section of this uh, uh, chapter. In fact, this is uh, the place in the Bible where the often misinterpreted and abused and misunderstood uh, passage about submission, uh, wives to husbands and those such things uh, is found. I wanted to preach on that, but Jessica said no. So uh, I asked permission to tell that joke. Um, <laughs> But this is a really interesting, interesting passage in so many ways. There's so much here. And, and Paul really, in this chapter, is talking about three important concepts we'll talk about. You know, Dan talked about light. We'll talk about being filled. But first I want to talk about this uh, idea of imitation. That, that in this passage, in this chapter, even in this letter, Paul is talking about imitation, that we as followers of Jesus are to imitate Jesus Christ himself. And, and they say, you know, the cliche goes that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? And, you know, I always thought that and thought imitation was good. Then I had kids, right? And, 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 you know, when you have kids, kids begin to imitate all sorts of things that you do. A lot of things that you want them to imitate. And also they seem to really quickly grab a hold of those things that you don't want them to imitate. Sometimes even in your parenting, uh, you find yourself, even with your best efforts, uh, not overcoming that desire to not imitate your parents. And, in fact, you are imitating your parents in your parenting, that imitation is a powerful thing. And Paul wants to talk about this important concept of imitating Christ. And, and when I was thinking about this, I thought back to a moment. Uh, you know, you remember your kid's childhood very much. And, and so I was thinking about, you know, some of the times that the, the kids have imitated me. And I thought back to this moment uh, where Micah would oftentimes, at a young age, uh, would like to imitate me. And, and it came around football. And so, you know, I'm always looking for a reason to talk about football in the sermon. And, and so it comes around football. And to this day, Micah will still imitate me. He will say things to the television that clearly, during football games, he has heard from his father. Some of those things I get corrected for from my wife, other of those things not. But, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how that happens. But, you know, Micah learned words quickly and easily, you know, mama, dada, food, more, those kind of things. But one of the earliest words he learned, uh, actually, related to imitation, was the word touchdown. 
Okay, good parenting right there. And, and so I remember that when he was a young boy that this would actually happen. And if you want the impersonation of the voice, Jessica will do that for you later. But, you know, I'd be watching the football game and just like the referee, a touchdown would happen that I'd like. And I'd say touchdown and throw my hands up. And Micah would then begin Oh, you know, at one years old, would imitate that. And so he'd take his cute little hands and he'd go, touchdown, and throw his hands up. I, in fact, actually have a couple pictures of this. So this is Micah. This is Micah eight years ago. Um, no joke. Uh, uh, you can see football in the background, in fact, you know, imitating the touchdown. So uh, we didn't have his permission to do that. Um, he's not here. Uh, but, uh, you know, you remember those moments of imitation. Those moments that are cute and endearing and those moments that uh, you wish that others didn't imitate you. And here Paul is talking about imitating Christ. That, that the Christian life at its core is about imitating Christ and living life in the Spirit. And really we have two choices. We either imitate Christ and live life in the Spirit or we imitate the world and live life in other things whether that's in success or, or appreciation or wealth or whatever it might be. What is it that we imitate? We all imitate. We all naturally do that. Are we imitating Christ or are we imitating something else? Are we living life in the Holy Spirit or are we living life a different way? Then Paul goes to this analogy of darkness and light, and Pastor Dan did an amazing job of talking about that, that there is this concept of darkness and light, and for Paul, we are children of the light. This idea of darkness and light, Paul wants to talk about it because it's an important concept, because Jesus talks about being the light, because in talking about this, Paul can look and help us look at both the positive and negative things in our lives and what it means to imitate Christ. But this concept of darkness and light is important. We are children of the light. As adopted children of God, we are children of the light. And in the darkness, there is death, there is confusion, there is mis misery. And so not only do we know that Jesus is the light and as was so well put in children's time, can, can put light on any situation, because we are children of God, we too are the light. We too bring light to darkness. But the truth is that there's actually no such thing as darkness. There's just simply, simply an absence of light. There's no such thing as darkness, just the absence of light. And so where do we need the light of Christ in our lives where it's absent? Where do we need to bring the light of Christ around us where it's absent? Because there is no darkness, just the absence of light. Our nature, our posture, our very lives should be light. That to know Jesus, to imitate Jesus should change us. It should bring transformation in our lives. It's an attitude, it's a posture, it's an action. That darkness is ugly, it's scary, it's sterile, it steals life away from you. I want to 
put a couple things about light up here on the screen that I want to share with you. Light does several things, and this is not the limit, but these are some of the things that Paul talks about, and we think about the light of Christ and being the light. The light produces good fruit, that when we shine light on something, it produces good fruit. I'm sure there are fruits that can grow in the dark, but the good fruit, the best fruit, grows in light. The light enables us to discriminate what is of God and what is not of God. The light gives us discernment. We cannot see without the light. So the light is a discriminator in a lot of ways. The light exposes darkness and evil. The light exposes darkness and evil. This is a concept we can understand. And the light, of course, has a cleansing quality that whatever is given light can become light. That's the beauty of it, that Jesus sheds light on who we really are, and because of that, we can become light. That there's something about the light that has a cleansing quality. Yet, there's something about light that is intimidating, that is scary, that is overwhelming. There are some things in the world and in our lives that we don't want light shine on. We don't want light brought to certain things. The truth is we have some of those places of darkness that we are a little afraid that light might come. And when Paul talks about all this stuff, he's not just giving instructions. You know, I talk about this as these chapters in Ephesians as Paul giving us instructions. But Paul, especially here in chapter 5, is talking with a great sense of urgency. This is critical. This is important. Paul is talking with a tremendous sense of urgency. Urgency about living in the light and being in the light. And he uses a comparison of drunkenness. This is, of course, the passage where Paul also points out that to to live and and to be in this state is not ideal, but it's not just a, a social commentary. Paul is talking about some other things, too. This this comparison of drunkenness and living in the Spirit may seem like an abrupt thing. It may may seem like a stark contrast, but it brings us back to Acts. If you remember in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came to the church and these people were experiencing the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, they were accused of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. That sometimes when we live life in the Spirit, that when we live life with God, that when we have the deep joy of Christ, that it sometimes seems that that's what that is. We're somehow, sometimes it seems that we are very weary and suspicious and cautious of people that are overly happy and overly joyful, right? We see that as strange or weird. I mean, it happens to me all the time. Some people might argue it's something else, but we're not going to go there. But Paul does this comparison to kind of help us. You know, that Paul is saying that that living in the Spirit produces a different kind of life. It produces a very different kind of life. The true thing is, that whatever, what controls us, whatever controls us, fills us. So if we are controlled by substances, by circumstances, by successes, 
instead of controlled by imitating Christ and living life in the Spirit. We fill ourselves with different things. And that's why Paul uses this analogy here. It's not as much a commentary on alcohol as it is a commentary on what we choose to fill us. What is it that we choose to give us life, to bring us joy? And Paul outlines in this passage just some of the goals of the life in the Spirit. And again, I'll put this up, up on the screen for us to think about. Some of the goals of life in the Spirit. Uh, first and most importantly, and, and I think this cannot be underemphasized, our behavior must be connected to our doctrine. Both matter. That it's about right belief. That's called orthodoxy. But it's also about right living or right practice. We call that orthopraxy. Or orthopraxis. It's about right living, right believing, right doctrine. Both of these things matter. And so oftentimes in our Christian faith, we focus on one over the other. Look at how good I am. Look at how behaved I am. Look at how well I've done and will believe anything. Or look at my wonderful beliefs and then we'll spew hate at someone around us. And so this is important to understand what the goals of the life and the spirit are. We are called to make the most of our life and to, and to make the most of every opportunity. That's one of the goals of life in the Spirit. If you are living in the Holy Spirit, if you are imitating Christ, you are making the most of every conversation, of every moment, of every good circumstance, of every bad circumstance, every relationship, every opportunity, every experience that you experience that the goal of life in the Spirit is to make the most of everything. We are to discern God's will. That is always so hard to do, but the more that we imitate Christ and the more that we seek to be filled by the Holy Spirit and live in the Holy Spirit, the easier it is to discern God's will. And we're called to discern that even if we get it wrong. So oftentimes we don't want to discern God's will or act on it because we're afraid we might be wrong as if God couldn't handle us being wrong, as if that might be the first time. And finally, Paul highlights that one of the goals of the life in the Spirit is to express joy and thanksgiving. To, exp to express joy and thanksgiving. You see, the life imitating Christ and the life lived in the Spirit is lived to its fullest. But Paul goes on. He talks here a little bit about worship, makes some comments about worship. And, and Paul here, of course, is saying that, you know, worship then was certainly not, didn't have to be fixed and, and, and ritualistic, that, that worship in the spirit can happen in our lives. That certainly when we come here to worship in church, we have an order, we have a fixed nature to some things. But that worshiping God Living life in the Spirit, imitating Christ, is to worship with our whole lives. And that that varies from setting to setting. That varies in each of our experiences that we experience. And Paul is setting up here, remember in Ephesians 4, he's talking about the image of the church, what the church should be. And so he's giving us a picture of the Spirit-filled church. And again, I, I have to do these lists because there's, it's so rich here, I don't want us to miss it. But some of the marks of the Spirit-filled church that Paul gives us in the passage, of course, of course and foremost, is worship of God. That that's our primary purpose that we gather here. Not to check a box, not to sing songs, not to hear a sermon, but to worship the one true God. 
that the marks of a spirit-filled church is that they're truly worshiping God. They're not just going through the motions. They're not just participating. They're not just showing up. Of course, the second mark is offering thanksgiving to God. We have so much to be thankful for, and our tendency in life is to look at the things that we're not thankful for, the things that are wrong, instead of the things that we have to be thankful for. And finally, it has to do with how we treat and honor one another. A spirit-filled church is an honest church, but it's a church that honors and cares for one another deeply, that treats each other with deep, deep respect and love and intimacy and care. That that's the spirit-filled church. I love these marks. It's a simple list. It's a hard list. It's interesting to me because I was thinking about this passage and uh, I was driving down the road Monday. This week was just oddly full for me. Just a lot of going 800 different directions and a lot of evening things this week it seemed. And I had had a long day on Monday particularly, you know, got started doing things at 7 and was driving home around uh, 9 and, and reflecting on my day as I often do in the car and and it struck me that one of my friends often joked that, you know, some people, they say there's a, you know, a kind of a saying or a cliche that people, you know, people have a full plate, that their life is a bit busy, so they have a, a full plate. Uh, one of my friends in Colorado would often joke, though, you know, some people have a full plate, Marcus has a buffet. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about my buffet, and I was thinking about all the things that I got to experience in that day in life as a husband, as a parent, as a pastor, as a community member, even in the passing and going of a meal or a latte or whatever it might have been during the day. And I found myself in this spirit of thankfulness. Even though I was tired, even though it was full, it was abundant. And I had this thought that you know, when I think about life, and I've had a lot of conversations with people between the difference between being driven and not, being busy and not, trying to produce and be efficient and be effective and not. There's been a lot of conversations in my life about that lately, and if you didn't know, I tend to be a more driven type person, if you didn't hear that rumor. And, and, uh, and it's, it was interesting to me, because it, what struck me, the thought that came in my head, and, and we can kind of throw this up on the screen, is that I'd rather live my life in a way that has a vision that's so big and so grand that it thinks 100 years in the future, yet act and operate knowing that each day could be my last. That somehow our lives, life in the spirit, life of abundance, life of fullness, that the way we operate in every moment, not just the big moments, but even the little encounters, should have that grand vision of what would I love to see a hundred years from now? What does the legacy need to be? What can the world look like? What can God do? This grand, big vision that is a hundred years beyond us, and yet living with a sense of urgency, a sense that knowing that while God gives us many days and many years, any given moment could be our last. And so how do we take each day and make the very most of it? How do we take each moment and make the very most of it? All the while in the back of our head, having this vision, this picture of what could be, of what could happen, this picture 
a hundred years in the making. You see, we are adopted children of God. There is no better identity. And our identity as adopted children of God, as children of the light, it should change us. And that as we imitate Christ and become more and more like Christ, as we become more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, things begin to change. Life changes. Our perspective changes. Abundance comes to us. And this is what Paul is talking about here. For us as individuals, for us as a church, and for the whole world. To imitate Christ. To be the light. To look to the light. And to be filled. Not with the things of this world. Not with the pressures and the stuff of this world. But to be filled with the Spirit. So that we have a vision that's so big, that's so grand, that we could never accomplish it alone. That it lasts long beyond our lifetime. Yet we operate day to day with a passion and an urgency that says, God has given me this day, and you never know how many I, you have. How can you make the most of it? It's a tall order Paul's given us in Ephesians 5. But he doesn't give it to us out of a sense of obligation or so that we can be good Christians. He gives us this picture because he knows that this is where the best life is found. That the best life is found by imitating Christ and living in the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these words, for this letter that Paul wrote to the church. Help us be mindful of it ourselves as a church. Help us to be a people who recognize our identity as adopted children of God, children of the light, imitators of Christ, ones who are called to live life in the Spirit, not just in our times of thinking of you or our times in worship of you, but in each and every moment of our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.